0: consider that um, next Sunday is the class Eric um, Bradley's going to be teaching that class for us and so um, so just check off your connection card on your connection card there. I mentioned earlier about the passing of Basilio Ponce um, some of us who've been here with First Assembly for a number of years um, New Basilio he's been in assisted living um, for a number of years now just want to let you know there will be, um, visitation here at the church on Wednesday morning from nine to eleven, and then eleven o'clock we'll be holding his his um, memorial service. That is um, that's Wednesday um, here at First Assembly. Um, most of us should have received the information regarding regarding the services, visitation, and services for for Ron's wife Sarah, which will take place this evening. If you did, if you need that information still, you can find that in your email or in your text message or you can check with one of us and we'll get that to you praise the Lord so um, so I just wanted to bring that that to you as well so this morning we've been mentioning um, for quite a number of weeks we have our guests with us pastor Herman his wife Alexandra Mendoza and um, I worked with um, the Mendozas we worked with the Mendozas down in Queens at Promise Ministries um, for about four-plus years, um, partnered in ministry in a number of ways down there. And, and I always knew a little bit about his background, right? But never in full until this past summer, I read his new book that came out, Shifting Shadows. And when I read that book, I, I said, you know what? We need to have Pastor Mendoza come, uh, Pastor Herman come and share a message, and his testimony with us as a congregation. You know, our theme for this year has been, it's a new day. I still have my wristband on, right? There we go, Greg, right? It's a new day, and we've been looking at the book of Joshua, about stepping into our new day, talking about old things passing away, all things becoming new, and you know what, Pastor Mendoza's um, testimony is exactly that. Right. It's all about a new day, the new day that Jesus is able to bring to us. Amen. And so um, we're so glad to have you guys. And, and, you know, there's one scripture that has been going through my my head and my heart for you guys. And 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 that is is this. Jesus said, he who's been forgiven much, loves much. He's who been forgiven much, loves much. And after reading your story, um, right, I really came to understand your love for God your love for his church, your love for the ministry, your love for people all around the world because we know God's done incredible work in your life. And so um, why don't you come, Pastor Herman? Um, thank you for being here with us this morning. Can we give the Mendozas a so hand good. this morning? God bless you.
1: Thank you so much, Pastor Tim. It is an exciting morning, an exciting day to be in the presence of God and his people. Amen? We're we excited to be here in the presence of God and his people. And Pastor Tim, thank you so much. And your lovely wife. Uh, uh, you know, we've, we've spent many years over at Promise Ministries International. And then to be here and seeing what God is doing through you and this ministry, I am tremendously blessed. Thank you so much. Um, accompanied with my lovely wife of 35 years. Now, you must be saying... How could that be so, Pastor Mendoza? I look young, right? look like if I'm like 25. Uh, but actually, I'm 51 years of age. I'm getting old, and uh, we've been together right after high school. And we have three, uh, two daughters and a son, and we have three grandchildren, three grandchildren, three grandsons, I may add. And I am an associate pastor at a Korean-American church. So you may may be wondering, but he doesn't look Korean. (laughs) I'm the only Latino uh, amongst the staff there. Uh, But uh, God is great. It's a great ministry, and I am honored to be a part of it. Uh, I've been traveling the world with the ministry, uh, working on behalf of children. And uh, please, you're going to put on your spiritual uh, seatbelts because I'm going to take you on a journey, (laughs) a journey of my life. Uh, And it's been quite uh, an experience, Uh, I I could tell you that much. Uh, If we may, uh, please stand, take a moment uh, with me. Uh, We're going to read the word of God, uh, and then we're going to get into the message. Amen? Uh, Turn to your neighbor and say, good morning. morning. God bless you. All right. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Let us pray. Father, thank you, God, for this incredible opportunity to be here today. To be able, O oh God, to minister your word, I pray, God, that it would be less of me and more of you, that you would fill me, O oh God, with your, your spirit, that I would speak truth, O oh God, to your people, and that we would forever change, O oh God, through the word, the reading of your word, and through the message of Christ. Thank you so much for this church. Thank you for the ministry, the staff, and all that embody this ministry here today. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Let's read the scripture, and we may be seated. Uh, The text for this morning is found in the book of Mark, chapter 8, verse 36. It's a very familiar scripture, Mark, chapter 8, verse 36. Amen? And it reads like this. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? You may be seated. Thank you. Question now I have for you this morning. Are we living with a sense of urgency? I know I am. I'm living with a sense of urgency. I'm living with a sense of urgency with all that we are seeing today. I want people to experience the true Savior, which is Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus had the same sense of urgency when he said in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. He said, For the Son of Man, quote, has come to save that which was lost, end of quote. We live in a society which demands so much from us in order to achieve great economic status. This brings a tremendous amount of pressure for us to succeed, right? You see, in South Korea, it's amongst the highest country in suicide rates. Uh, I visited uh, South Korea a number of times, and um, reading a lot of Of study on this particular uh, topic on suicide, uh, I was really alarmed at the fact that many students are committing suicide due to the pressures of uh, education and their uh, professional work environment. When I read this, and I was really alarmed, I was like, wow, it's incredible that, you know, uh, Korea is uh, experiencing these types of uh, uh, situations there in terms of suicide. Due to stress in trying to overachieve, again, in education and in the workplace. Although working hard to achieve certain goals in life is not all that bad. We know that. The question here is, are those things becoming your idol? Are those things becoming your idol or your whole existence? What is your soul worth is the question this morning. What is your soul worth? You see, in G- uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20, Jesus said, you were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Jesus paid the ultimate price so that we may have everlasting life. Your soul is eternal. Jesus, Jesus makes it clear in Mark chapter 8. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Jesus brings out a meaningful conversation which resonates with me personally. It resonates with me because in a deeper way, it is, I, I understood what I, and you're going to listen to my, t- my testimony, but I understood what I dealt with in my past and what God took me out of. And you see, I once lived this crazy lifestyle. Um, and so this message, um, it really, really touches my heart every time I speak about salvation every time I speak about the goodness of God and what he's done in my life I want people to really gravitate to the power of his might the power of his grace and his mercy amen you see how far uh, will people go to obtain the riches of this world in exchange for their soul before Christ found me and saved me I was willing to lose my soul in exchange for worldly pleasures possessions, position, power, etc. In James chapter 4, verse 4, the Bible tells us that whoever chooses to be a friend of this world becomes an enemy of God. I, once, I was once a friend of this world by seeking after the things of this world. It didn't matter what I did to acquire it. All I wanted to do was to satisfy my sinful flesh. I also had a uh, distorted idea of who God was. God saved me over 28 years ago. I went through many trials during my adolescent years and up to my adult life. My parents tried everything to come to my aid. But what I really needed was an encounter with God. The Lord allowed me to end up in a place where I didn't want to go, nor did I expect to be in. But in that place is where he redeemed me and saved me. My sins were weighing heavy on my heart during that moment of despair. That was the place where God met me and transformed my life forever. And you're going to hear my testimony in a minute. I wrote a memoir called Shifting Shadows, how a New York drug lord found freedom in the last place he expected. Now, the subtitle is a really catchy subtitle, right? When you hear that, found God, right, in, in, a, in, a, in a place that I didn't expect. Uh, and it was a place called Federal Prison. Um, and um, and it, was, it was quite of an experience that I had there. Uh, but in that place, he redeemed me, saved me. And, and uh, so I wrote this memoir, Shifting Shadows, because I wanted to highlight Uh, in my autobiography, and recount the moments of my depravity and criminal activities, not to sensationalize my story, but I wanted to really bring about God's love for people, God's love for the lost, so that those that are displaced in a sense of where they belong or what they should be doing or in drugs or addictions, that God can restore that broken heart, that prodigal son, And and so I wrote this uh, autobiography to kind of highlight that and and talk about uh, these moments and these encounters that I had during my criminal activities, but more so uh, the love of God and how he transformed me in a federal prison. You see, the love of God rescued me from my sinful ways. Only when I repented and accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior, that's when God began a new work in me. Praise God. Let me share with you a little portion of God's story. Now, I can, there's a number of versions of my story. I can do five minutes. I can do 45 minutes in an hour. I'm going to give you about 30 minutes or 25 minutes of my story. Um, and at first, I'm going to begin with my adult life. Um, back in the 19, late 80s, early 90s, there was a tremendous epidemic of narcotics being spewed across America, particularly uh, cocaine. And it was destroying the very fabric of American society. It was tearing families apart. Uh, Many families going through so many issues with their son, perhaps, uh, 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 son and daughter, uh, brother and sister, family members, because of cocaine. narcotics and uh, at that age I was working I was married I had uh, my first child Uh, my two brothers were involved in the sales of narcotics at the time Uh, they were really thrust in there because they wanted to have this fast-paced life of easy money and they were lured to that particular lifestyle and I was against drugs because in my earlier days when I was 13 14 years of age I was introduced to marijuana, and eventually to cocaine, and eventually to heroin, and I was an addict. My mom didn't know what to do with me, and so she sends me off to the Dominican Republic, where my parents are from. And she places me in a, a boarding school. And so I, I reached this country, this island, called La Española, right? Dominican Republic. And I'm there, and I'm in a, a boarding school, a private school. I'm like, what am I doing here? I'm from New York. <laughs> And so I was there, so I, I rebelled against my grandparents and became a nuisance. And so they said, okay, you want to be a tough boy from New York, right? I'm taking you to the, to the uh, uh, he, had a, he owned the farm, and he took me to this farm. He said, I'm going to put you to work, boy. And so he passes me a machete, and he goes, work the field. I'm like, what in the world is this? <laughs> and so I started to work with my grandparents, and eventually, uh, started to consume alcohol. and Unfortunately, it was readily available for young people uh, in the Dominican Republic. And so I started to consume alcohol, consume alcohol. And uh, my grandparents said, enough is enough. I'm, I'm going to call your, mo- your mom. And so my, my grandfather contacted my mom and said, we're going to send that boy back to New York. <laughs> he is a nuisance. We just can't tolerate his behavior. And so they sent me back, and the funny terminology that they used was, we're going to ship him back. <laughs> like I'm cargo. We're going to ship him back. So they sent me back to New York, and I, I must say that the one of the uh, incredible experiences that I had uh, in the Dominican Republic was meeting my wife and also spending time with my family and loved ones uh, in the Dominican Republic and understanding my culture. So I arrived back, and uh, just to fast forward a little bit, now I'm an adult. I, I, right after high school, I, I get married, and my parents like, you're not going to college. I'm like, I'm in love. We're Latino. We get married early. And so I was working, having a, you know, had a job and my first child. And eventually, uh, I got unemployed. And I knew what my brothers were up to. And so one day, I approached my brothers. and said, look, uh, I, I need money. Uh, could I, you know, get involved in, in your activity? But I don't want to sell drugs. And so he said, sure, come. And invited me to this apartment. I went there, and I counted $1.2 million dollars in cash. So my eyes were open to this sin of uh, illegal activities. Ill gains, right? And uh, there was a two counting machines there. We counted the money. He said, I want you to count the money. And, um, and then right after we did that, we, we gave it into the cartel. We had about four or five Latinos coming down a very affluent uh, neighborhood in a building with laundry bags about 10 o'clock at night. <laughs> full of cash they didn 't know what we were doing, but uh, we gave in the money to the cartel and uh, and so I was like, "Wow, I was amazed at the fact that I was rewarded ten thousand dollars It's like this is easy money So I started to get involved in the criminal activity of, of this particular organization my brother was involved in, and eventually it was not just only uh, counting money, I was distributing cocaine from Columbia to the to New York hundreds and hundreds of kilograms of cocaine. Millions and millions of dollars were passing through my hands. I thought I was on top of the world. I had access to the best clubs of New York City. I had access to celebrities. I was going to mansions across uh, the eastern seaboard of different celebrities and hanging out with them and partying. And they thought I was an entrepreneur. They thought I was in real estate. And some of them knew what I was doing, some of the celebrities. And I was thinking that this is what I want to accomplish. I have all the power, all the money. And the enemy was after my soul to destroy me. He wanted to end my life, snuff me out. And so as I started getting uh, involved even further in this enterprise, in this particular organization, my world came tumbling down when I was arrested with 25 kilograms of cocaine behind the trunk of my vehicle. They arrested me, hauled me to the precinct. Uh, they went to the stash house where I had an additional six kilograms of cocaine, seized the Mercedes Benz, and the very next day, I pick up the newspaper, blasted across the newspaper, read $3.8 million of cocaine seized. And we, they arrested two brothers they're facing life in prison i was only 21 years of age obviously uh, at that time all i wanted to do is have a way of escape i wanted i was thinking about self i wasn't thinking about society i wasn't thinking about the people that i harmed i wasn't thinking about the drugs that i was spewing out in, into society i wasn't thinking about my wife or my children i was thinking about self i wanted a way out of my current situation uh, then, back then. And so as I was reading, it said uh, the, the prosecutor was Richard Brown at the time, and the mayor of New York City was Mayor Giuliani. And he was cracking down on drug dealers. And so I was facing a lot of time. And I remember uh, negotiating with the attorneys and the, the prosecutor. Uh, they finally sentenced me, no bail, and they gave me three to nine years of incarceration. And they sent me to Rikers Island, a notorious jail in Queens, New York, and from there uh, they sent me to Ulster County, uh, and uh, I s- filled out these uh, uh, paperwork because there was an opportunity for me to get into a military camp, uh, and that would allow me to be home sooner than anticipated, because my sentence was three to nine years of incarceration. As I entered this military camp, ex-marines on my face, you know, s- you know, s- get. Give me 100 (laughs) push-ups. I was out of shape, you know, because of the party life and drinking alcohol, uh, you know, being unfaithful to my my wife and uh, thinking, again, I was on top of the world. Um, And I remember um, I entered a chapel. And as I entered this chapel, I wanted to negotiate with God. And so this is what I said. I said, God, if you give me the opportunity to pass this program, and be home with my family. I promise you, I'm not going to drink alcohol for six months. (laughs) It was ignorant on my part and stupidity. Instead of saying, God, forgive me for the wrongs that I've committed. Lord, I'm convicted. Change my heart. Save my soul, God. No, I wanted to negotiate with God. And so I I finally ended, um, I finished the program successfully, and I was released. I was sober for six months, and so now I wanted to end my sobriety. Instead of celebrating that I was sober, end my sobriety. And so I went to a restaurant to have a drink, and as I was having uh, liqueurs there, and having a drink and having a conversation, how the enemy sets us up to destroy our families, lo and behold, I see a friend of mine sitting before me. And he was now the second in command of the cartel, a uh, particular cartel in Colombia. And he approaches me. He says, hey, man. Salutations in Spanish. And he says, when did you get out? And I was like, how did he know I was in jail? And so he said, look, I'm controlling over a ton of cocaine. If you're interested, you let me know. You can make millions of dollars. It reminds me of a scripture in the Bible in Proverbs 26, 11, which says, As a dog returns to its vomit, so fools repeat their folly. I went right back in and I said, I accept. And went right back into the same lifestyle, same business dealings, and then again, dirty my hands with dirty money, drugs, and these ill gains. So now, uh, back then, I'm, I'm selling and I'm, I'm party life again. I'm lying to my parole officer, saying that I am. Uh, uh, I I opened up a business and I'm working and I'm showing him, you know, fake checks and pay stubs, uh, to keep him at bay. Uh, and then from there, uh, my brother, because remember, it was I was th- three of us that were involved in this uh, business dealings uh, with the cartel. Uh, the, my brother that got caught with me in the state. Uh, transaction uh, indictment, he was still doing time. They gave him four years to 12 years of incarceration. And so I had another brother, second oldest brother, and he was uh, also arrested on another charge of 87 kilograms of cocaine, $2 million in cash. And so they had extradited him from Miami to New York. And uh, we bailed him out on a half a million dollar bail. And so he tells me, what are you up to? I said, I'm back again dealing drugs. So he says, look, I know someone that can distribute the cocaine for us. And so we approached this individual. We didn't know, but he was working for the DEA, Drug Enforcement Agency. And so he had us recorded. And we gave him 11 kilograms of cocaine. So I am thinking I'm on top of the world again. I have all this money, all this lifestyle, the pleasures that the world can offer. And who comes down the street? the DEA, and they arrest me in my vehicle. They haul me to a notorious uh, federal prison where the El Chapo was arrested, a drug lord from Mexico. So I'm there at the time thinking, what am I going to do next? Not thinking of the convictions, of, of, of the sin weighing heavy on my heart. No, no. I wanted a way of escape again. I wanted to resolve my issues and not worry about family, society, government. I wanted to take care of my own personal situation. And so I hired some attorneys, the attorneys that we had in place, and they bailed me out. My brother was revoked his bail due to his pending case. As I was out in society trying to figure things out, I decided to consume more alcohol, more alcohol, thinking that was going to numb the pain and eradicate the current matters that I was dealing with in my life. And it was just all a lie. And as so I was drinking more heavily and more and more and more. I jumped bail because the, the, I, I was facing uh, 18 years of incarceration, so I decided not to attend uh, my court appearance. Now, back then, I was you know trying to find direction, drinking some more, and um, I remember coming out of a club a celebrity was there, was drinking champagne. I told my driver, take me to my home. And I lived in a gated community. As I entered my home, drunk, lay down, the very next day the phone rings. My wife picks up the handset and um, the phone set, and, and it was the DEA agent and said, Look, tell your husband to surrender himself. If not, there's gonna be problems here. The very first reaction was, I need to escape. So I, I, I put on my clothes and I tried to, you know, jump out the window. And there was a, a police officer there. He said, "Freeze!" You know, uh, and I went back in and I told my wife. And I looked at her. I said, "My life is over." Open the door. And as the uh, police officers came, um, you know, uh, they came into the the, the premise, the, uh, my home. Um, the guns drawn, they handcuffed me. My kids were asleep. Um, and uh, they hauled me to the awaiting adjacent vehicle. They placed me in the back seat. And as they were taking me to prison, I remember sort of turning around, and they were taking pictures and celebrating. And as they were taking me to the, uh, to the jail, I told the marshal, open the back door. I want to end my life. I don't want to live. So he looked at me. He said, look, uh, you never know what could happen. I thought that those words gave me a a sense of of relief and hope and, and assurance, but it wasn't his words. It was my brother that got arrested with me in the federal indictment that they revoked his bail. He surrendered his life to Jesus Christ in federal prison. And this was his prayer. Father, send my brother to the same facility where I'm housed so I can share this great gospel of Jesus Christ. Because if not, they are going to kill him. And I had no idea that my brother was praying for my salvation. I had no communication with him. There was no way for me to uh, communicate with him due to the fact that I was out on the run, out on the land. And uh, this is what God does. It's it's an amazing story. And so when I uh, arrived to uh, NBC Brooklyn, and I must say, I must add, it is like... The movies like Con Air, you're shackled up, you know, and they transport you and, and so forth, and they bring you to federal prison. So they, I arrive at the facility, Brooklyn Detention Center, and they send me to the same housing unit my brother was at. And when I look at my brother, he looks at me, he said, "Praise the Lord, Hallelujah." <laughs> I look at him, I said, "Hey, man, did you lose your mind? We're in jail. <laughs> We're in prison." Are you crazy? I thought I thought that because he had a big Bible, you know, under his his armpit, and he was like, "Yeah, you know, Jesus." I'm like, "We're in jail. Are you serious? You know, is this a religious thing, or what's what's happening with you?" But his countenance was different. His speech was totally changed. I mean, every word he was saying was like, "Amen," and God bless you, (laughs) and with a smile. I'm like, "How can you have a smile? We're in jail." We're in federal prison facing life in prison. Are you crazy? And so, again, I was trying to resolve my current situation. You know, it reminds me of a scripture in Proverbs ten two. It says, ill-gotten treasures have no lasting value, but righteousness delivers from death. You see, God was delivering me from death, eternal separation from God. And I had no idea. I was heading down a road of destruction, of death. And and separation from God. Not just a physical death, but also my soul. And I had no inkling. I had no idea. I had no concept of who God was. I heard of Jesus, but I never had a personal relationship with him. And so I was in that cell block thinking, what am I going to do? So I contacted a number of attorneys. And they said, look, sir, um, we can't help you. They want to give you 18 years of incarceration. And so I finally found one, and he promised me 10 years. And I said, yes, 10 years. Get me 10 years. He comes back and says, I'm sorry. They want to give you 18 years of incarceration. At that point, it was the breaking point of of my life. Reality set in. I've tried every other recourse, and every other recourse that the world was offering had failed me. And my brother saw me distraught, and he looked at me, and he said, hey, brother, come here. He said, I want you to come to chapel service this evening. Now, I want to just paint the picture how chapel service was being run. It was run by inmates. And every day in the exterior of the uh, the housing unit, there was a day room. And they converted that day room into chapel. And so they were preaching and, you know, singing hymns and praise songs and worship. And so I was skeptical, obviously. I didn't I never had an experience like this, uh, uh, an uh, evangelical experience. Um, And so I sat in the back, and as I was making my way to the chapel, I was having this conversation with God, and I said, all I want is peace. I am losing my mind here in prison. I need peace. And so I sat in the back, sort of scanning and observing all that was taking place in this religious service, inmates testifying, yes, God heal me, or yes, I'm saved. And, and I was just trying to see what was happening. But then the preacher started. and He started to deliver a message, and he said, it was about 60 inmates there, he said, there's someone here that have, has chased after things of this world, pleasures of this world, and all those things, whether it be ill gains or whether it be um, possessions that one work for, I, I mean, not to, you know, take away of what you work for. But what he was saying is that all those things is, is insignificant in comparison to salvation. And he said, God can give you peace. And I knew it was for me. And so he said, you know who you are. And I just got out of my seat. And he says, make your way to the front of the church. And I made my way. And I just started to cry and to ask God for forgiveness, you know, and ask God help me with my current situation it reminds me of second corinthians 7 10 it says godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret but worldly sorrows brings death and so my past all the times i said you know give me a chance give me an opportunity there was no uh, a repentful heart it was all wor- worldly sorrows But at that moment, in that federal prison, when I came to the chapel, God grabbed my heart and said, son, come to me. I'm going to make you new. I'm going to make you a new creature in Christ. The old is gone. Behold, all things become new. Praise God. Amen? Praise the Lord. So as I I, uh, went to the altar and I cried out before the Lord and God convicted me, You know, what I I saw, sort of like in a flash, or my my mind, all the family members that I've destroyed. Because I wasn't in a a street corner selling drugs. I was in a different position within the cartel. And I felt so convicted. And I wanted to make amends with everyone. I wanted to say sorry. I wanted to call people I didn't even know. If if I sold drugs to your family, I'm sorry. And so I got on the phone and I contacted my mom and, and told my mom, Mom, I am so sorry of all the things that I've done. I'm born again. I'm a Christian. I'm a new creature in Christ. She was like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? And she was just as happy at the fact that, you know, that I surrendered my heart to Jesus Christ. And so I wanted to get in contact with my wife. And in and, and, and that six-month period, I started to immense myself in scripture. I was a walking Bible. I, I applied to a number of universities while incarcerated. And, you know, they ask these questions like, what did you do for the summer?" or Tell us a little bit about your background. I said, Well, I'm a federal inmate. (laughs) They're like, What? I said, Could you give me an opportunity? I I would like to take these courses. Uh, And so they allowed me to take these courses and they were sending me the materials. And so my brother and I became the pastors of that day room chapel. And we were pastoring hundreds and hundreds of inmates. Today, that particular chapel is still in existence. And there are people still preaching in that chapel. Praise God. Amen? God is amazing. And so uh, we started to immerse ourselves in the scriptures and learn more about God. And And uh, I started to study about law and, and and study many books and read many books. And I remember that at the time I was like, I, my wife, she, she doesn't want to uh, receive Jesus. She doesn't want to know about me. So I prayed and fasted for three days. On the third day... Uh, I was fasting with a a friend of mine uh, that was incarcerated with me. And his petition was answered. And I'm like, Lord, I just want my wife to get saved. The fifth day, the correction officer says, "Uh, Mr. Mendoza, you have a visit. So I go down to the visiting area thinking it was my my, uh, attorney. And who do I see sitting there was my wife. And I walk towards her and I sit down. And and she looks at me and she goes, I got bad news to tell you. (laughs) And I said, just give me five minutes. Five minutes. And I've been sending her verses, and I, I, I think I, I sent her the whole 66 books of the Bible <laughs> during that time of incarceration. I was waiting about close to three years for the outcome of my case. And um, so I said, give me five minutes. so I started to tell her that, that I was so sorry of all the wrongs that I've done. That even though if she wanted to divorce me today, I said to her, I said, all I want you to know is that Jesus loves you, and I want you to know Christ, the Savior. I want you to know that God can change your life around. I said, you can leave me today. And she started to cry. And she started to confess her sins. And it reminds me of James, where the scripture says, confess our sins to one another. God started to bring healing into our relationship. For the fervent prayer of a righteous man availed much, God started to listen to my prayers and minister to her heart. And she said, look, I want the Jesus that you have because you are more free in prison than myself that I am out in society. I want that Jesus. And so I led her to a prayer uh, and, and she received Christ as her Lord and Savior, according to Romans chapter 10, verse uh, verses 9 and 10. And she was just so happy. And that, that, that week uh, she tells me um, that she got baptized in water. And we were celebrating her salvation. We were so happy for her. Um, and so the moment uh, uh, came for my sentencing. When I went down to see the judge, I had over 100 inmates write letters to the judge and said, Your Honor, this man has done incredible things in prison. He has, uh, I mean, he's taken so many courses, educated us. Um, he was our pastor. Uh, please find leniency on his case. So I am standing before the judge and my attorney, uh, the prosecutor to my right, and he says, Your Honor, this individual has done amazing things in prison. Whatever time you impose on this defendant, uh, I hope he continues to do the things on the outside as he was doing it on the inside. Thank you. I couldn't believe it. And so my attorney spoke, and then I spoke, and I said, Your Honor, if you give me the opportunity to be free, I want to continue the work I was doing in prison and help young people so that they don't end up in prison And I said, I am a new creature in Christ. I am a Christian. The judge looks at me and says, that is all Mr. Mendoza? Yes, sir. And he gives me close to five years of incarceration. They send me off to Lewisburg Penitentiary, then to another prison. And I'm ministering and preaching the gospel. And then I think I'm going to be released from prison. And I get rearrested by the New York State Parole Board, parole officer. And he says, "Uh, Mr. Mendoza, you violated your first parole uh, condition. So now you have to go to Rikers Island. So I went there, and he, he couldn't believe it. The, off, the officer says, but you have a smile on your face. I said, well, God needs me at Rikers Island to preach the word. I'm going there. <laughs> and so I arrived there, and I started to, amen. I started to preach and, and, and share the gospel, and, and I remember when I arrived there, I saw this cell with people just stricken with, with the smile of Of uh, alcohol and drugs and I just felt so moved and compelled to share the gospel and I started to share the gospel with them and many received Christ. And so the day came, the judge looks at, the judicial judge looks at my case says, this is unbelievable, I'm giving you release. And he released me out of society. Now this is what God does. I start a non-for-profit organization working with young people. Then I become sort of the, the ambassador of the community and the elected officials recognize the work I'm doing and Obviously, some of them wanted to get the photo out. You know, I'm with this man. He's doing great things in the community. But I wanted to work on behalf of children and youth and raise them up to be followers of Jesus Christ. As I was working with them, I I started working with other organizations, and I became a New York State chaplain. And then from there, God sends me uh, to uh, minister to baseball players and NBA players. And, th- and then from there, God sends me to the United Nations to work with ambassadors to send humanitarian aid to different countries in need, such as countries like Haiti. And it, I was, I, when I was in the United Na- at the United Nations with these ambassadors, I was like, my God, you are incredible. I was once sending containers of drugs and cocaine to destroy nations and families. And now I'm sending containers of goods and uh, medical supplies and the Word of God to save many through the Word of God and through these goods. As these hands were destroying people, now these hands are building lives. Amen? For the kingdom of God. Praise God. Give Him glory. Amen. <laughs> You know, it reminds me of the story of, Gen- of, of uh, Joseph in the book of Genesis. Uh, uh, obviously, uh, he was a righteous man, uh, and he was falsely accused. In my case, I wasn't at the time. Uh, but God used him, and God began to use me, and he's using me today. And so uh, after that, I'll share this uh, quick story with you. There's um, a friend of mine. He's a uh, captain of um, a Supreme Court, and he invites me over to the courthouse. He says, I want you to meet two judges. I said, Sure. And so I go there, and they introduce me to a judge, and I share my story. And one of the judges uh, wrote Carlito's way, by the way. Uh, he says, look, this courthouse, you can, you can do whatever you like to do in this courthouse to bring young people and teach them about the penal and judicial system. Your story is amazing. Then I met another uh, judge, and, and she was just impressed by me, and uh, she gave me her business card, and it turned out that I became her mentor for many, many years until she passed away. Then, right now, today, all my friends are uh, law enforcement officers, judicial judges. (laughs) Look what God does. Isn't that amazing? And then uh, the other day, uh, a few years back, a friend of mine calls me and says, Pastor Mendoza, I want you to officiate my wedding. I said, Sure, let's go. So we start uh, organizing the rehearsal. He brings his best man, and his best man uh, tells me, Let's go out to dinner. And we go out to dinner. So I ask him, What do you do for a living, sir? He said, I am an agent. I said, Oh, an agent, what agency do you represent? He said, The DEA. <laughs> and so I said, You know, this is a great opportunity for me to share my story with him. And so I shared my story. I said, Sir, do you know so and so? Do you know so and so? He was an officer. He says, Of course. He was my partner for five years when I was working over at uh, JFK. I said, Well, he was my arresting officer. He could not believe it. And all of this to say in that particular story is that his wife has surrendered her life to Jesus Christ. And God wanted me to minister to him because this individual did not want to receive Christ, but he wanted to hear someone such as me that he encounters every day to have a genuine transformation. Not that his wife is not a genuine transformation, but someone that it was radical. And now I am ministering to him. Praise God. Amen. Please, if we could stand, praise God. If we could have uh, Pastor Kim come up. God is good. God is amazing. Amen. What he does. Today, if you are going through difficulties in terms of addictions, whether it be pornography, whether it be drugs, drugs, marital problems, God can change your life around. Or if you are here for the very first time and you've never made a commitment to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, today is the day of salvation. I look at my life and how could this be? A person that was pretty much going to be snuffed out. But God said, no, I have bigger plans for you. I've been to over 50 countries. I've been with world leaders. And I say this not to... Uh, glorify what I do. It's just to exalt Jesus. It's to bring him honor and glory in what he can do in our life. That now people within the communities, professional people, people like-minded, people that are in the streets, they look up to to, to myself in terms of what God has done in my life. And God can turn your life around. And so I want us to uh, bow our heads and close our eyes. And if you find... If you find yourself in that place of despair, the place of loneliness, the place of addiction, the place of just needing of God in your life, God can turn things around. I started off my sermon by saying that your soul is is priceless. And there are only two things that endure forever, which is the word of God and the soul of man. And so if that is you today, I just want you to just extend your hands up in the air and say, I'm here. I've you know, I've messed up, you know, or if if you have a family member that's dealing with, with drugs and you want to stand in the gap for that person, raise your hand and say, Lord, I'm here. Father, look at my son, look at my daughter, look at my brother, my sister, God. They're dealing with alcoholism. They're dealing with drugs, God. Turn their lives around. Oh, God, I pray at this hour, Lord, that you would have your way in the lives of your saints, oh, God, in the lives of your people here today. Father, they've raised their hands in acknowledgement, oh, God, uh, uh, that they need you, God. They need you to intercede for them. They need you, oh, God, to to turn things around, just like the way you turned my life around, God. For you are the God of yesterday, today, and forever. And we know, God, that you can turn things around. And so I pray, oh, God, for this church. I pray for those that are dealing with these difficult uh, situations in their lives, God, that you may help them, God. And I thank you, God, for what you've done here today. We love you, God. We bless your name and we honor you and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Praise God. Amen.
0: Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Pastor Herman, for sharing with us this morning. And it's it's a powerful word. Amen. Powerful word. But it's not a one-time event when it comes to God but he's able to touch each one of our lives. So here's what we're gonna do before we would close the service, right? Pastor Guy and the worship team are gonna lead us in this song. But I wanna open up this altar this morning. If you're here today, you need the touch of God on your life. Maybe for the first time, as you heard this morning, maybe for the first time, you know you need to commit your life to God through faith in his son, Jesus. You need your life turned around. You need old things to pass away, everything to become new. I'm going to invite you to come and stand or kneel at this altar. Someone will come with you. Or maybe today, maybe today you just need God's intervention in your life. You know, you might be a follower of Jesus, but you're going through some hard things right now. Maybe the enemy wants to try to make his way into your life. Maybe just life is coming at you, but you need God to step into your life, to touch you, and to begin to turn things around. He can do that for you. Do you believe that, church? Do you believe that? Come on, because He loves us. His grace, His mercy, His power is the same today as it's always been. So you come this morning, and we're going to pray for you. We're going to pray for you this morning. Come on, let's, let's worship together. You come if you need prayer this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Oh, we thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We worship you, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah.
1: He you jealous for me. But love's like a hurricane. I
0: am a dream.
1: Bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy. All of a sudden I am.